Chapter 2 Title Creating Bending Reality 101 Reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Albert Einstein If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Nikola Tesla So now my first question to you is, what is reality? And my second question is, are you ready to hear the truth? Because whatever reality is, let me tell you, it isn't what it seems. Come, follow me down the rabbit hole. Before I begin, I want you to stomp your foot on the ground. It's solid, right? Next, I want you to squeeze this book in your hands. It's solid too, right? Wrong. In fact, you aren't solid either. Break out the Twilight Zone theme song, please. I know, I know. It sounds like I'm being silly here, but I'm not. Let me explain. You see, according to quantum physics, which deals with the very small stuff, everything we once thought was physical is, well, not physical. Everything is energy. The chair you're sitting on, the house you live in, the person next to you, and even your dog. Sounds crazy, right? You might be thinking, wait a minute, Josh, but this book in my hands feels physical. How can you say that everything is energy? Quit messing with me before I give you a solid right hook to your physical face. Now, before you try knocking me out to prove me wrong, let me respond with a quote from the book, What the Bleep Do We Know?, where one author states this mind-bending truth. Quote, One of the first cracks in the structure of Newtonian physics was the discovery that atoms, the supposedly solid building blocks of the physical universe, were mostly made up of empty space. Well, not really. That supposed emptiness is not empty at all. It contains enormous quantities of subtle, powerful energy. End quote. Did you get that? Even the so-called empty space between atoms isn't really empty either. That too is energy. What I'm basically trying to say is this. Physical reality is simply an illusion. I know this can be a hard pill to swallow, but in case you're wondering why you're having quote-unquote physical experiences, it's because atoms, which are composed of electrons, repel each other. That is to say, the electrical repulsion of electrons gives you the sensation of feeling something. This is why your book isn't slipping through your fingers right now, why it's probably not a good idea to jump in front of a moving bus. Another crucial feature of quantum physics is the fact that energy can act as either visible particles or invisible waves. But get this, and this is where it gets even weirder, it all depends on what you're looking for. What do I mean? If you're looking for a particle, it becomes a particle. If you're looking for a wave, it becomes a wave. Or, as Penny Pierce, author of Frequency, puts it, your perception determines the shape of your reality. You see, there's something subjective about the nature of reality where we have an inescapable influence in constructing it. In fact, contrary to what many people believe, the material world doesn't pre-exist in any certain form waiting to be observed. Rather, it's a very act of observing which creates the material world. Before then, what exists are fields of possibilities, oceans of waves, frequencies. For instance, when an observation is made, matter appears, creating the world we perceive. But when we look away, BAM! It disappears back into energy. Lynn McTaggart, author of The Field, puts it this way, quote, Reality is unset jello. There's a big, indeterminate sludge out there that's our potential life. And we, by our very active involvement, our act of noticing, our observation, we get that jello to set. So we're intrinsic to the whole process of reality. Our involvement creates that reality, end quote. I guess you could say this ends up blurring the distinction between the world quote-unquote out there and the quote-unquote objective observer. How crazy is that? 
Still not convinced yet? Well, what about when the eminent American theoretical physicist John Wheeler, a colleague of Albert Einstein, said, quote, We are not simply bystanders on a cosmic stage. We are shapers and creators living in a participatory universe. End quote. Shapers, creators. I like that. It's empowering, isn't it? We all play a decisive part in this open, dynamic, and interactive universe which is constantly changing. Yup, we are that involved. You can observe the life you want. But the critic can say, Okay, so we can influence the small stuff like subatomic particles, big deal. But we can't influence the big stuff like the things we experience in our everyday world. My response is, why not? Maybe many of us don't influence the big stuff because, as Dr. Joe Dispenza says in his book Evolve Your Brain, we're simply poor observers. But hey, maybe with some practice, we'll be able to influence our reality in more ways than some people expect. Shouldn't this excite us? Now high five the person next to you. It's been said that we think around 60,000 thoughts each day. Don't make me ask what most of yours are about, wink wink, and every thought we have emits a certain frequency. Positive thoughts vibrate at a higher frequency, while negative thoughts vibrate at a lower frequency. Why is this so important? Well, whatever thought vibrations you're putting quote unquote out there, positive or negative, things of the same frequency will match it back. In other words, your reality, in many ways, is a reflection of your dominant thoughts, which is why being optimistic is so important. Earl Nightingale, author of the classic book The Strangest Secret, knew that our thoughts had the power to shape our lives, even to the point where they can either make us or break us. Earl's famous words were, We become what we think about. Or what about when American poet Ralph Waldo Emerson said, A man is what he thinks about all day long. Or when Thomas Merton, the Christian mystic, said he prays by breathing. You see, what Nightingale, Emerson, and Merton believed about our thoughts confirms what many wise teachers and prophets and philosophers have said throughout the ages. Thoughts and beliefs are life. Obviously, we have more thoughts than we can actually keep track of. But remember, it's our dominant thoughts which tend to color and create everything we see, which is why we gotta make the thoughts we want the most dominant ones. In addition to thoughts, our words are extremely powerful as well. In fact, words do matter, literally. They shape our lives for the good and for the bad, depending of course on how we use them. As a kid, I remember being on the playground and hearing my classmates say, Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's not necessarily true. Consider the well-known water experiment done by Japanese researcher Dr. Masaru Emoto. In his popular book, The Hidden Messages in Water, he reveals how words have the power to influence water. In the experiment, he exposed water to different types of music, prayers, and words. Using high-speed photography, he visually captured the structure of water at the moment of freezing. The results were freaking eye-opening. For example, when exposed water to positive words such as love, thank you, and the like, the words formed beautiful crystals like snowflakes. But when he exposed water to negative words such as I hate you, you idiot, you make me sick, I will kill you, the water, interestingly so, formed dark holes, dull colors, and became, in a word, ugly. How does this have anything to do with us? Think about it. What percentage of the human body is composed of water? Oh, that's right. It's over 70%. That being said, wouldn't it be a good idea to be very careful with what we say to and about ourselves? Like thoughts and words, our feelings play a vital role in creating our reality too. 
Not only do they reveal what we're vibrating at any moment, but they also indicate what we believe as quote-unquote truth in our subconscious minds, even if our beliefs are not true. For instance, some of us have written down positive affirmations on sticky notes like, I'm rich or I'm healthy, posting them all over our bathroom mirrors, our computer screens, and around our office cubicle at work, reciting them over and over again, hoping to see our affirmations become a reality. The results? They hardly did us any good. Sometimes they helped, and other times, unfortunately, they didn't. Why? Because we weren't feeling the words. Our lips said one thing, but our feelings expressed the exact opposite. You could shout all the positive declarations you want till the cows come home for all I care, but if you don't say them enough to the point of affecting your subconscious mind, and without any emotions behind them, then don't expect too much to happen. Remember, words, coupled with emotion, are power. This leads me to my next point, a proper understanding of faith. Unfortunately, many skeptics tend to scorn faith, thinking it's for those who are irrational, weak-minded, and gullible. I guess it all depends on how one defines it, right? As for me, real faith proves just the opposite. It's for those who are able to rationalize beyond the limiting beliefs many people tend to embrace. In fact, it could take a lot of cojones to have the kind of faith I'm talking about in certain situations. See. Not only do I have several anecdotal stories to back up my understanding of faith, but the kind of faith I'm suggesting is also supported by the idea that all possibilities exist in the present moment. Let me share a powerful example of this. I'll never forget the story in Greg Braden's book, The Isaiah Effect, where he talks about his trip to the desert of northern New Mexico with his Native American friend David. As the story goes, it was a third year of drought in the American desert southwest. Greg was amazed by how a pool of water right in front of him, simply evaporated within seconds. Have you ever seen it this dry before, Greg asked? The old ones say that it has been over 100 years since the rains have left us for so long, David said. That is why we have come to this place, to call to the rain. David led Greg along an invisible path that only he could see. They stopped at a special place, a place known to David's family and ancestors for many generations. There is only you, me, Earth, sky, and our Creator, David said. Today we will touch the unseen forces of this world, speaking to Mother Earth, Father Sky, and the messengers of the in-between. Today, he continued, we pray rain. David removed his shoes, turned his back, and walked toward a stone circle. Then, with his eyes closed, he did a ritual where, according to Greg, every movement he made seemed sacred. Once David was finished, he said, Let's go. Our work is finished here. Already? Greg asked, a bit surprised. I thought you were going to pray for rain. No, David replied. I said that I would pray rain. If I had prayed for rain, it could never happen. Then, later that afternoon, the quote-unquote impossible happened. It rained. Wait, let me correct myself. It didn't just rain. It rained hard. In fact, a full-fledged thunderstorm went underway. Now... What in the world did David do exactly? As explained in the book, David prayed rain by planting the seeds of a new way. He began with the feeling of gratitude for all that is and all that has come to pass, giving thanks for the desert wind, the heat, and even the drought, calling it neither good nor bad, acknowledging it as their medicine. Then he chose a new medicine. He felt the feeling of what rain feels like upon his body, all the way down to his feet, feeling the wet earth oozing between his toes. He smelled the smell of rain on the straw and mud walls of his village after the storms. 
He felt what it feels like to walk through the fields of corn growing up to his chest because the rains were so plentiful. He basically felt all the feelings of what he wished to experience. From that point forward, his prayer became a prayer of thanks. You see, faith isn't about wishing for something you don't have, and it definitely isn't about begging a distant creator in the sky to do something for you. Rather, real faith is about feeling the feeling that you already do have, seeing what you desire in the now, recognizing what you want as complete, and with a sense of gratitude, acting as if it's already yours. And somehow, folks, by honoring all possibilities, you're able to bring the ones you choose into this world. How can this not pump you up, right? The last powerful tool in creating reality is visualization. Try not to judge too quickly. It's not something only New Agers do. The truth is, it's something we all do. Some of us are just not used to the word. Take daydreaming, for instance. Some critics find it easy to mock those who daydream often, especially when the daydreamer's goals seem so out of reach. Unfortunately, they're told by these critics to snap out of it or to be realistic. But what if daydreaming is simply part of the process of creating? I mean, just think about it. Aren't all inventions visualized in the mind first? Albert Einstein was right when he said, quote, Imagination is everything. It is a preview of life's coming attractions. End quote. So never underestimate the power of your imagination. Who knows? Whatever you're visualizing now can change the future of the world. Visualization can be used for a number of exercises as well, things for which many people don't even consider at all. Research has shown that athletes who practice visualization during rehabilitation healed significantly faster than those athletes who didn't. Another study even revealed how, quote, visualization of muscle stretching while actually stretching increased muscle flexibility significantly, end quote. Visualization has also helped the performance of basketball players, golfers, swimmers, and even weightlifters. Name any exceptional athlete, and I'm willing to bet he or she will attribute visualization as part of their success. Should we be surprised? I don't think so. Scientists have discovered that the brain can't tell the difference between what a person is imagining in the mind and what a person is actually experiencing. So whether you're running in the mind or on an actual field, shooting basketballs through hoops in the mind or on an actual court, interestingly enough, the same areas of the brain are being activated. There you have it. Thoughts, words, feelings, faith, visualization, they all work hand in hand benefiting you in certain ways as you learn to master them. That being said, you have a choice every single day to create the reality you want. You decide whether to wake up from the alarm or to press the snooze button. You decide whether to be kind or to be a jerk. You decide whether to spend time with your family or to hang out with your friends. You decide whether to study diligently or to slack off. You decide whether to accept the sickness or to figure out a way to heal your body. You decide whether to hang out with people who bring you down or to surround yourself with people who will inspire you. You decide whether to accept what everyone else says as truth or to challenge the status quo when necessary. You decide whether to quit following your dream or to keep going. You decide. You, my friend, are a powerful force to be reckoned with. So from this point on, as my friend Greg Kuhn puts it, you're going to stop telling it like it is and start telling it how you want it to be. Enough said.